for reading that. Uh, as many of you will know, we've been looking at uh, the topic of heaven and hell over the last few weeks. Uh, and if you've got questions, now I'm imagining not many people have questions, pretty straightforward. But if you've got questions, we're going to put Rowan in the hot seat after this. Uh, there'll be a number come up on the screen. You can text your questions through um, and he'll answer all of your questions. Everything will be made clear. Um, but today we're going to be looking at uh, really the final stage of, of looking at this, this wonderful place, heaven. Um, and uh, it's just like Rowan was saying earlier, it's, what about me? Uh, last week we looked at uh, the, the center of heaven being God and Jesus and his glory. Um, and today, what about us? As we start, how about I pray together? Father, we thank you so much that you have told us what heaven is going to be like. Uh, we ask that as we look at that more today, that you'd help us uh, to be captured uh, by that, to be encouraged by it, to look forward to, to what heaven uh, could be like for us. And we pray that as, as I speak, I would be clear and faithful to your word, uh, that today all of us would be changed uh, by what we've learned, um, that we would become more like your son, Jesus, and understand more what heaven is going to be like. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, breakfast can be quite a, an interesting place, uh, a time at, at our place in the morning. Um, many would argue that, for me, life isn't actually... I don't, I'm not alive yet until I've had at least one cup of coffee. Uh, for Theo, though, that's not the case. He wakes up, he's full of beans right from, day, from, from the first moment. Uh, he's running around the place, babbling, uh, just... Yeah, I don't know where he gets his energy from. It's certainly not from, from me. I'm not a morning person. Uh, so he'll sit down. He'll, he'll start eating his breakfast. Uh, he'll start often with a, a bowl of cereal. Uh, then will come one egg, maybe two, or <laughs> sometimes even more. I don't know where he puts it all. Probably burning it off throughout the day. Uh, then maybe once we've cleaned him up, I'll get a chance to sit down and just relax. And now I can enjoy my coffee, uh, my breakfast, Except his little face will appear next to me as I'm sitting at the table, his beaming grin, outstretched arms. So, mm? Mm? What about me? And the same question, it's right for us to ask about heaven, isn't it? What's, what's heaven going to be like for me? Uh, Paul in Romans 8, those verses that we read earlier, he has such high expectations. He writes this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. So heaven, the glory that is to come, Paul writes, nothing else that you've ever experienced, nothing that you ever will experience, nothing compares. It is that good. Nothing will ever come close. But it's actually the two little words at the end that I want to draw your attention to. Because they are truly remarkable to us. Heaven is amazing, not just for God and Jesus. It, it is, as we saw last week. But it's amazing for us. So throughout the Bible, we see snippets of description about what heaven is going to be like. Uh, we don't see every detail explained. Uh, but 
That's because of what the Bible's written for, isn't it? It's not to describe every tiny detail to say, oh, we know exactly what this bit is going to be like and this bit and this bit and this bit. Um, the Bible's written to get us there. It's written, it's a bit like the trailer for a movie maybe. Uh, you know, it doesn't resolve anything. In fact, sometimes it sets up more tension uh, that will be, lay, be resolved in the movie. You don't know what the storyline's going to be. But after seeing it, you run down by tickets, don't you? In Psalm 16, David writes of a, of a place of happiness. Uh, in verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart will be glad, and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. You reveal the path of life to me, and your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Heaven, it's a place of gladness, of rejoicing, of joy, of eternal pleasure. In Revelation 21, John looks at it from a different angle. He kind of says, well, what won't be there? What's going to be different between our experience now and what is to come? He says, there'll be no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no death. It's a pretty good picture, right? And in Revelation, uh, so scattered throughout it, there's these images of precious jewels, of uh, a sea of glass, of gates of, made out of pearls, uh, crowns of gold, streets paved with gold. And it's not really describing the physical, like the, what it'll actually look like when we get there, so much uh, as uh, showing us the value. You know, it could be seen a little bit stark, gold, jewels, I mean, precious, yes, but a little bit stark, don't you think? Cold, uninviting. But that's not what's being said there. It's, it's telling us of the, the huge value of heaven, how precious it is, how wonderful, how sought after. Yet in Revelation 21, perhaps we, we see the pinnacle of this description, really. Hell, uh, sorry, heaven is the ideal environment for us. Uh, in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God is dwelling with humanity. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 1, heaven and earth, they, they pass away. Uh, but the, the idea here, it's not so much of a complete wiping out and destruction of, of heaven and earth, uh, but a renewing, a cleansing and a renewing. The, the curse of the fall on this creation, it comes to an end. This creation, yet right here, that is the picture here. You can pick any of the ecological issues of today. Global warming, deforestation, species becoming extinct. They will all be resolved in this new creation. They're all fixed by Jesus. And in this renewed creation, the heaven and earth, they're, they're no longer separated like they are now. We'll no longer be isolated from, from heaven, from God. 
Because in verse 3, God is dwelling with humanity. The, the picture of closeness between God and, and man that we see in Genesis 1, yet again, uh, that's the picture here as well. Now, granted, all of these pictures, they're, they're incomplete. They're only partial. But it's only, it's only right, isn't it? I could describe my wife, Rach. I could say, she's lovely. And she is. My heart skips a beat when she smiles at me. No one compares. Now, it's all true. But it's not going to help you pick her out at Moa's Nest after the you know, after this time up here when you go down and grab a coffee, is it? You're not going to know who she is. Uh, and, and so too it is with heaven, but much more. Uh, it's a place, as we've seen, it's filled with happiness, with joy, with peace, uh, with love. It's a, a place of great value, a place designed especially for us, for me, for you, for, for all the believers, for everyone who trusts in Jesus. And it's, it can't be compared to anything that you've experienced or that you could even imagine. But what is it like for me in this new heaven, this renewed earth that's joined with heaven? What, what will it be like for us? Well, can you imagine, close your eyes for a minute, humor me, and just think, can you imagine... Uh, a world with no more sin. Each year, $1,700 billion is spent on military arms throughout the world, every year. No more. Each year, $19 billion worldwide is spent on pornography. No more. Today, there's an estimated 9 million child slaves around the world. No more. Can you imagine it? Never again would we walk out the door on our way to come to work or church or uh, to go shopping and lock it. We wouldn't fumble for our keys as we step out of the car and hit the button and check, yep, the door's locked. We'd never have to worry about the, the setting the pin code on our cell phone or logging out at, uh, of our email accounts. Never again would we speed when we're running late. Or, or glance down at our phones while we're driving, just sneakily, because we needed to check that text that came in. Never again would we say that hurtful thing that we can't take back. No more sin. The Apostle John writes of his vision in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, he says, uh, they washed their robes, speaking of uh, those in heaven, what, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, for people who go to heaven, uh, they're given the purity of Jesus. Their, their sin, their dirtiness is washed by his blood, by him dying on a cross in their place. It's an amazing picture, isn't it, of purity, of sin being completely wiped out. But given this, given this is where we're headed, shouldn't we start preparing for that now? Shouldn't we be declaring war on sin now? now there's nothing held back when you go to war. 
Listen to what President Roosevelt said. Uh, This is after two years of the United States of America holding back from the, the massive conflict of World War II. And he said this. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. As commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defence. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Or shouldn't it be the same for us in our declaration of war against sin now? We have been deliberately attacked by Satan and by sin. Full measures need to be taken for our defense. And no matter how long it may take for us to overcome this premeditated invasion, we will, in Jesus' righteous might, will win through to absolute victory. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say that? Let's think about it for a moment. What what sin is it that you're most likely to go soft on? To kind of just go, oh, I'm not seeing any progress here. I'm just, it's not really worth continuing to work against. Maybe if you're like me, is pride tempting you? Are you likely to think more and more of yourself? Uh, Well, Attack it by praying for, by celebrating the gifts of others around you. The guys that welcomed you as they came in and offered you a drink voucher. Let's celebrate the gifts that God's given them and, and, and give thanks for them. For Lyndon and Mona that were up here earlier, leading us in song and helping us to sing to one another and to God. Well, let's give thanks for them. What about your connect group leader? who every week turns up and is welcoming and loving and has prepared a study for us to help work out what it means to follow God. Is greed attacking? Well, let's take it out. Let's be generous. Why? Because Jesus has been generous to us. And battle by battle, until the war is won, until we are standing pure with Jesus, completely sinless, But what about our bodies? What will they look like? What will happen uh, in this heaven? You know, we're so influenced by the thinkers of, uh, across history. Uh, take Plato, for instance. He taught that the, the soul is superior in every way uh, to the, the body. The soul is it's immortal, it, it's powerful, it's indestructible, and the, the body is weak. It's, uh, maybe his, his slogan um, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Soma Sema, the body, a tomb, it sums it up quite nicely, doesn't it? Yet there's, there's an appealing romantic kind of notion to that, isn't it? When we die, our souls, which are kind of captivated by our body at the moment, they'll be set free. And they'll just, they won't be confined to yeah, this prison that they're in. They'll be able to float off and just be free agents. Yet, from the very beginning of Genesis, uh, we hear that the whole of physical creation, really, it's good. There's this echo throughout the opening verses. It's good. It's good. It's good. And the summary, it is very good. 
in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, it's not just our, our souls, but actually our bodies as well that have been bought by Jesus. Uh, the, um, and then Jesus, when he rises, he doesn't just rise a spirit kind of soul and float around the place. He's physical. The disciples, they, they see him, they touch him, uh, they ate with him. And we too will rise physically, both body and soul. Uh, further on in 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, sets some, sheds some light on what these bodies are going to be like. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? Uh, what kind of body will they have when they come? Foolish one. Uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And for what you sow, are you not sowing the future body? Um, sorry, you are not uh, sowing the future body, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or of another grain. Paul's saying, yeah, there'll be con continuity, just like when you, you put a seed in the ground and it grows. If you plant corn, you get corn. There'll be continuity, but there'll also be difference. You don't plant a seed and get just a seed. You get a whole plant. It's vibrant. It's healthy. And so too our bodies. They'll be transformed from this small dead thing into vibrant, glorious, and eternal bodies. Uh, Paul goes on. He looks at four different aspects of these bodies, and we're going to um, tease them out a little bit in turn. Uh, firstly, verse 42, uh, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Um, our bodies, they are broken now, aren't they? They're failing, they're falling apart. Now, some of us can kind of ignore that for a little while, but only for a certain amount of time. I mean, don't you feel it? Headaches, migraines, uh, broken bones. How many of us were taken out by the flu this winter? Uh, is pain, is it a daily reminder of what shouldn't be? It is for me. Uh, I was 13 when it started, and I remember one night when I was in so much pain that uh, I couldn't even explain why. I had to crawl from my bedroom to the toilet, and as I crawled and my foot was up in the air, hanging off the end of my leg, my ankle was so sore. It was excruciating, just with every movement. Didn't know why. And over the, the years of needed to be propped up kind of by uh, the wonders of medical science and uh, drugs and crutches and, and surgery to try and kind of keep me going, put me back together. But it's, it's only temporary, isn't it? Um, a while ago, there was this ad on TV, and it was uh, the picture of bone, and it had been dumped into the, the sh these shards of glass, and there were shards of glass hanging out all over the, the bone. Um, that's what it was like. Uh, it's a pretty accurate uh, image of what the what the pain of arthritis is. It just isn't right, is it? <laughs> Paul calls it corruption. And yes, some of us will feel it more, uh, but all of us are going to, the end is corruption uh, and death. But the more that we feel of pain now, knowing what is to come, this glorious body where none of that exists, the more I long for that. When I wake up and I'm in pain, I'm like, oh, 
I can't wait until it ends. Never again will we limp or wince or cry in pain. I won't wake in the morning. I won't go to sleep needing to be comforted by drugs, uh, by painkillers. I won't collapse at the end of the day and just kind of go, ah, let the pain of, of activity drain out of my body. We'll be gone. What are you going to do with your incorrupted body in heaven? Just think about it for a moment. Anything that is physically limiting now, it'll be gone. Those jars that might be hard to open. You'd be open, you can open jars to your heart's content in heaven. You can run, jump. You know, you just keep going. You know, there's no pain. It's gone. What will you do? Secondly, sown in dishonor and raised in glory. Uh, how many of you have looked into an open coffin? Uh, I'm guessing most of you will have had that sad privilege. But there's nothing glorious about it, is there? You recognize the body, but I remember all too clearly uh, a friend that I used to work with, a teenage cousin of mine, grandparents, all of them buried, cremated, sown in dishonor, Paul says. But won't our day come too? We can't. Just keep holding it at arm's length. It's, it's coming. Uh, except for those who trust in Jesus, Paul says. Because we will be raised. We will look forward to new bodies. Awesome and splendor and vibrant bodies, Paul says, of glory. Thirdly, in verse 43. Sown in weakness and raised in power. Don't you feel tired? At times, weak. Um, don't you get to the end of the day uh, and go, oh, I can relax. I'm shot. Or do you get to the end of the week and go, man, it's Friday. I could have kept going. Like, stuff the weekend. Let's go back to work tomorrow. Yeah, doesn't happen, does it? We go for a run in the morning and you get back and you're like, oh, that's good. Let's go again. Now you go, I'm stuffed. But try to imagine for a minute the sheer physical bliss of rejuvenated bodies, of bodies that will not grow tired, that have the strength and the speed and the stamina of, uh, that no athlete could dream of now. You know, Theo, he bounds around all the time, climbing up and climbing down and running, and then coming back and climbing again and jumping. And I'm like, wow, so much energy. But heaven offers us all of that and so much more. Bodies of power. Fourthly, sown a natural body uh, and raised a spiritual body. Now, Paul means a body that's dominated by the, the Holy Spirit. He's saying that gone will be this body which is at war with itself, that tries to do the good thing yet ends up doing the wrong thing again and again. Uh, you know, at, at present... Uh, our bodies, they stop us, they hinder us from all of our attempts to love God wholly, don't they? To love our neighbor. We're like, yep, I'm going to do the right thing. And then we stuff up. But in heaven, in heaven, our bodies will help us. We will want to do the right thing and we'll do it. 
But with these perfect bodies that we will get, these perfect bodies that are uncorrupted, uh, that, are, that are glorious, that are powerful, that are spiritual. See, with, with us in those bodies, Jesus will be completely satisfied with us. We will have no need for that nagging fear. That, that just Will Jesus be a little disappointed? Like when we get there, he'll look at me and go, huh, is that all? Not at all, because in Christ, because Christ will see in him, in us, he he will see himself. Uh, We'll be made completely like him. Now, how can he be disappointed with that? But what about community? Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've seen that hell, one of the distinctive things about hell is the terrible and horrible community of the place. Uh, and so, too, heaven will be characterized by its, its community. It will be marked by a glorious community. Uh, last week, we saw the heart of that community gathered around the throne of Jesus in relationship with God. That is what drives that community. Uh, but springing out from that is the community between ourselves, between all of humanity there. Uh, a deep life of, of deep relationships. In Revelation 7, we read this. Uh, After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe and people and language, uh, which no one could number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. See, this family that we'll be joined into in heaven, it'll be large. A vast multitude that no one could number, uh, John writes. I was reading that around 10% of Kiwis regularly attend a church. Uh, 10%, it seems quite small and insignificant, doesn't it? It means that, um, hypothetically speaking, of course, if I was to get into a bus, I'm allergic to public transport. If I was to get into a bus, as I walked down the center aisle of the bus, uh, only one in 10 people would regularly come to a place like this and hear about Jesus. It seems small, but but today there are 2.4 billion people around the world that call Jesus their king that have been saved by him. 2.4 billion. That means in a year, uh, aided by Google and a little bit of maths, uh, 20 million believers go to be with Jesus. 20 million, that's huge. 55,000 people today enter paradise. Not just that, you add that up over the whole of history, and that is a multitude, isn't it? But that multitude is diverse too, uh, from every nation, tribe, people, and language we read. From every corner of the world gathered, every ethnic background, every kind of conceivable difference that you can imagine, they're all there, gathered, united. United, why? Because they're gathered around the throne of Jesus. Uh, There's none of the squabbles that we know so much of today. Uh, There's no personal differences There's no silent treatment. There's uh, no family feuds. There's no lawsuits united around Jesus. But it does raise the question, doesn't it? Uh, What about those who don't know Jesus? What about our friends, our family members that don't trust in him, that, that don't call him their king? Well, the awful reality is 
they won't be there. They've spent their whole lives rejecting Jesus. Uh, God will have judged them. Uh, More than that, in Revelation 19, it actually says we will agree with God's judgment. Uh, The vast multitude of God's people in heaven are singing this, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. It's it's hard to think about, isn't it? That we will, in heaven, we will praise God agreeing with his judgment on people who have rejected him. The flip side of that is, uh, now's the time to warn the people that we know that don't know Jesus. Not just to warn them, but to invite them into this glorious place of heaven to come with us. I remember um, uh, I remember our wedding day, it was uh, seven and a half years ago, and Everyone that we could possibly invite that we wanted to spend the day with was there. Friends, family, people from all different places that we'd met them that we loved and we wanted to share the day with. It was awesome, you know. There was good food, just hanging out and laughing together and spending time together. It was great. But heaven, heaven is so much more than a wedding reception, isn't it? Who could we be inviting to come and share that day with us? We just heard about jazz in the park. Who is it? Your your neighbors, your work colleagues, your friends, uh, your family. Who could you invite to come to jazz in the park and uh, hear a snippet of who Jesus is to us? Or maybe you could run a barbecue over summer and invite your neighbors and just hang out with them and get to know them better and start looking for opportunities over Christmas to talk about the reason that, we, that we're celebrating, that Jesus came and dwelt amongst us on earth. Who could you invite? Not just to those little events, but ultimately to come and share in this glorious heaven. Because life is short. Even, if this, even in this world, we know it's true, don't we? Just think about it for a moment. If you had a hundred of your best years, what would you do with them? Would you travel the world, one restaurant, one art gallery, one walking track at a time? Uh, Would you hang out with your friends? Would you make new friends? Would you run marathons in under three hours? What would you do with with those? Like we can all think of the things that we'd do, can't we? It's because... God has designed us not for 80-odd years of, of, of kind of distorted pain and, yeah, great things as well, but compromise everywhere. God designed us for, the, for eternity. Even in this world, there's an eternity of things that we could fill our time with. And heaven will be better than that. Friends, it's an open invite. What is stopping you from coming? If you don't know that you're going to heaven, if you don't know that that you have all of these things that we've looked at today to look forward to, what's stopping you? Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he lives. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you in? Because life is short and heaven is waiting. Please come and join us there. Join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this picture, this glimpse of heaven where we uh, see what awaits us. Uh, A place where you've renewed everything, where everything broken about this world is gone, where there is no pain and suffering, a place of incredible value, a place that is designed for us. Father, we thank you for the community that awaits us in heaven. And Father, we ask that you would help us to long for heaven even more. We ask that you would would help us to see that we are built for heaven and to come and trust in your son Jesus to get there. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.